on guard. Pray. Ale. Welcome to the Tokyo 2020 Fencing Up podcast. It's episode 28. I'm Karen Bashir and joining me, Dave Baker. And Dave, uh, we're going to be talking about women's foil and it's another big episode because we now know the eight teams qualified for Tokyo 2020. So what we're waiting for, Bash. Okay, well, let's not give away the story too early. (laughs) (laughs) Let's start with where we were with the team situation going into uh, our last World Cup. Russia, Italy, France and the USA sat in the top four. Uh, Japan, Canada, Hungary and Egypt held the zonal spots. But we knew a little bit more going into the tournament. We knew that uh, Russia, Italy and France had confirmed qualification as top four teams. And at the very worst, the USA and Japan were going to pick up their zonal spot. But the USA clearly sitting in the top four going into the competition. Uh, Japan very much in the race for that top four. And of course, that affected uh, what would happen with uh, the USA, uh, with Canada and uh, with Japan, what would happen with Korea. Um, Now, it's that race for the top four that we're going to get focused on when we look at the team event. Um, Dave, uh, interesting competition, that's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think we didn't quite know where it was going to be until quite late in the uh, quite late in the day as well, right? So we ended up in ended up in Tatarstan in in uh, in Russia um, for for Kazan, which I think fencing fencing knows quite well, don't they? Yeah, great city for for uh, sport and uh, held the world championships as well. Mm. Well, look, uh, the results uh, in that competition with Italy, USA, France uh, taking the medals in that order, uh, and it was a thrilling fourth place finish for Poland. Uh, Dave, let's let's take this from from uh, right at the beginning of the day because obviously what we were looking at was that race for the top four between USA and Japan and then the race for uh, the potential uh, European place or the additional European place I should say between uh, Hungary Poland and Germany so much of our focus is going to be on those five teams um let's start with the 32 though is did anything come out of the 32 that sort of meant we knew uh, more about qualification. Yeah, I guess the, the the first question was always going to be whether Egypt were able to get into the the top sixteen or not. I mean, as you know, Bash, you can't qualify for the Olympic Games in teams if you're not in the top sixteen in the world. Um, and our sort of calculation beforehand was that Egypt needed to win uh, their last thirty two match, uh, which I've only done. Um, you know, haven't been doing regularly this season. Uh, unfortunately, I'd say because there aren't and weren't that many teams there, Egypt actually had a bye the last 32 so we pretty much knew the night before that Egypt were going to make the 16 by default uh, and thus qualify for the Olympic Games. Okay Um, look we've talked about this before uh, and I can't I can't resist mentioning it again that nobody turned up. No no it wasn't um, yeah it wasn't great no uh, Singapore no Romania, no Ukraine. A uh, bit disappointing there, guys. bit disappointing. Yeah, I mean, I, I get teams knowing that the outcome was very unlikely, but surely the race isn't over until it's over. Yeah, I mean, I, don't, I, I can't explain it. 
Uh, I don't know if it's a cost thing or if it's or, or, or what, but it's just not good enough, to be honest. It's just not good enough. Yeah, yeah, disappointing. But congratulations to Egypt, and yeah. they did pretty well in the end, actually. Yeah, they had a great day, finishing 12th. Um, so it shows that, you know, they can compete. Uh, just a uh, shame that, you know, we didn't have that match that, you know, always wanted to see that sort of one match to see if you can stand up and, and, and earn your place at the Olympic Games. And turns out you can just walk on in. So there you go. Yeah, but uh, they're there. They Absolutely. will be uh, in Tokyo and, uh, and and good on them. Yep. Uh, well done. They they did actually go out in the next round to uh, the USA. So uh, our, one of our five focus teams we knew made the quarterfinals. The, the other four, though, they've had some really interesting battles. And let's just remind you, we're looking at Poland, Germany, Hungary, and Japan. Well, seeing as the USA we know went through against uh, Egypt, let's have a look at Japan, who's chasing down... Uh, the USA for that fourth automatic spot. Uh, how did how did things go for them in the sixteen? Yeah, had a good win over uh, over a fairly strong Spanish team. Uh, so did did what they needed to do needed to do there. So that's great news. That kept um, that kept Japan in the hunt for a, a top four position, which is good. So that race remained open. Uh, so we can move on from that. What about the race for uh, the additional European zonal spot between Poland, Germany and Hungary? Yeah, so if you, if you say following three European teams there, uh, Poland had a sensational win over Korea, um, uh, setting up a tasty uh, quarterfinal with Russia. Uh, Germany had a good win over Canada, but I mean, Canada was struggling a bit with um, with injury and illness. So, And I think actually withdrew from the competition after... Uh, after that match, so um, Germany got a bit of fortune there, but obviously needed, still needed defence well. Um, and then Hungary had a good win over China as well, so that moved all four teams that we're sort of tracking uh, into the quarterfinals. Uh, but obviously Hungary with a, a tricky match against Italy as well. So um, I'd say all of Japan, Poland, France and Hungary all coming up against higher-seeded opponents. So lots of work to do to displace either the USA from the top four or Hungary from the European places. Yeah, well, I, I, I got to watch uh, some of the action in, uh, in Kazan. Uh, fortunately, the uh, Russian Federation put on a live stream for us. And um, that Poland-Korea match in the 16 was absolutely thrilling. Right at the beginning, it was really tense. And uh, the, the two teams clearly hammering it out. But the Poles just edged it in terms of their tactics and the, and the way that they when they decided to contain and when they decided to go for it it was very clear uh they, they won it 36 26 on time and oh, you should have seen the celebrations from the polish team it was pretty incredible uh and it was a, a massive win as you say uh, but we got down to the eights and everybody that we're interested in and focused on for Olympic qualification was still there. Uh, let's let's take a look at the the, the, the easy one first. The, the two teams chasing the top four, USA holding it, uh, faced Japan who were chasing them. So a, a, a straight race for the four, effectively. Absolutely, yeah. So this uh, would keep keep uh, Canadian hearts in their mouths if, if Japan if Japan won. Obviously, Japan needed to get to the final to destroy that, uh, that possibility of qualification for the Canadian team. Um, but in the end, uh, USA pulled it out um, with a with a great win, and, and we saw some wonderful photos on social media of Canadian celebrations, knowing that yeah. Japan had been stopped uh, and that the USA were, were marching on. So needed their needed their southern neighbours to do them a favour. Uh, I was chatting with a few uh, Canadian friends as it was happening, and 
everyone was very, very nervous because they're a great team. You know, they're ranked sixth in the world. You feel like the Canadian mm. team should be at the Olympic Games. Uh, but, you know, need, need you know, given that they're in the same zone from another very strong team, they needed that team to do them a favour. So uh, that's where we are. Um, so that sort of answered one of our questions. So we were then entirely focused on our European teams. Yeah, but just uh, just a note on Canada. Have you gone and done your your history book revision? Because uh, I'm pretty sure we're going to have history made in that Canadian team. Ah, you're talking about a certain youth fencer. I certainly am. Yeah, absolutely. So it'd be uh, Jessica Gow would be 14. Is that right? Well, she's 14 now. I I, I haven't checked her, her her date of birth, but uh, she's she's certainly not going to be older than 15 come in Olympic Games. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, I mean, if that's not a record, it'll be uh, it'll be very close. Yeah, I, I, I tell you what, no expectation, no uh, no nerves, the exuberance of youth, and. She's beaten some big names. Yeah, good on her. It's fantastic. Clearly, uh, a lot of a uh, lot of potential there. Could be could be one of these mega stars of the future in the uh, in the makings. I mean, early days, but uh, you know, it's uh, all very promising for Canadian fencing. That's for sure. Uh, I think it's an incredible story and and one that uh, we should uh, we should keep a very close eye on. I have had a quick look in her birth uh, her birthday's in June, so she will be fifteen ah. uh, come. Uh, Tokyo 2020, uh, but I, I've got to say, I think she is going to be right up there with uh, some of the youngest uh, athletes at the Olympic Games at all, barring perhaps gymnastics. Yep. Um, but um, but yeah, incredible story. Yeah, if anyone for sure, if anyone knows of a younger fencer, you'll have to let us know. I'd love to. I'd love to know if there was anyone younger. I'd be I'd be very surprised. Yes, I would too. So uh, anyway, USA uh, beating Japan, opening the door for Canada. So we know the USA stay in the top four and Canada qualified for the Olympic Games. So like you say, we we then have to move on to the European battle because uh, that's the only thing that's sort of left contesting. Uh, France facing Germany. Germany in with a slim chance of uh, nicking that European spot, uh, but uh, their day ended. Yeah, absolutely. Got beaten up by beaten up by a French team. Um, you know, very strong. Know what they're doing. Uh, so that was um, that was that for Germany. Unfortunately, which is pretty tough for for Anne Sauer. I think she's going to have a tough time catching Leone in the um, in the individual race, which we'll talk about later. Uh, but yeah, that was the end of that was the end of Germans women women foil uh, prospects. Right. So Germany now out of the picture. We know that. So the race is now still on between Hungary and Poland. Let's start with Hungary because they went up against uh, the um, very, very strong Italian team. Yeah, that was um, I managed to catch this one briefly, Bash. It was an absolute war zone. They got, <laughs> they got walloped. Uh, 45-13. Uh, see you later. Thanks very much. Uh, that is That was carnage. Do you think... Because I watched it as well. Um, do you think that um, Hungary laid down their arms uh, in, 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 at the earliest stage? Uh, one, do you think they did that? And two, do you think that they, they did it because they were concerning themselves for potentially uh, a crucial back table matchup? Uh, I guess. Um... I mean, I don't know how how good they all were with the spreadsheets, but um, 
Oh, maybe. I mean, I, number one, I think you know, I think it's pretty easy to see how any team could get beaten up by that Italian women's foil team. Mm. Let's let's just put that really clear. Let alone nerves. Let alone you know that they've done ninety percent of qualifying for the Olympic Games. Probably looking over their shoulder at their rivals all in the eight as well. Um, I'll put it down to last day nerves rather than anything uh, tactical. Mm, interesting. Well, Hungary out. So Poland still in the race. And in some respects, that um, that loss to Italy opened the door. Can you can you just explain that a little bit further? What, what were the permutations if uh, Poland won or if Poland lost in that round of eight? Oh, so Poland needed to win. Let's, let's be clear. Um, mm. both, both Germany. So Hungary went into the day as favourites, but Poland, depending on where Hungary finished, needed at least um, third or potentially fourth if Hungary sort of scraped the barrel within a, like an eighth place. So, you know, fifth wasn't going to be enough for Poland, whatever happened. So to go against, come up against world number one, Russia, <laughs> in, in the quarterfinal, that's pretty tough. Um, but you know, go into it knowing exactly what you need to do. Um, you're not qualified if you if you win, but you do give yourself a chance of qualification if you beat world number one Russia. That's what they need to do. That's what they needed to do. And look, I, I watched it. It's it pretty pretty incredible. I mean, it was. I watched it and thought, oh well, unlucky Poland. Yeah. And then it got to the seventh leg, and I was like. Okay, what's going on here? Poland were leading. Yeah, they man. were ahead. I mean, it was it was phenomenal. It was it, I couldn't believe what I was seeing. I, I, you know, spurred on by by the desire to qualify for the Olympic Games is one thing, but this Russian team are a huge, huge team. Uh, it was still for me going into the ninth. I was like, well, Derek Lasova's coming on. Yeah, Polish is the best Polish fencer, of course, but come on, Derek Lasova is. You know, she's the the poster girl of of uh, fencing at the moment, or poster poster fencer, I would say, even yeah. across the, the whole of the, the the six disciplines. Amazing, and just amazing. Volchik was just she was on a different level. I, I don't think I've ever seen a fence so well. And the the Polish team, I mean, you should have seen forty two forty one. They won the match, just in case you didn't realise, listeners. Um, and Poland got through to the semi finals and. I mean, the celebrations were incredible. Just amazing. And I can imagine if you're, you know, that Hungarian match probably finished quite a bit earlier, shall we say, and you're just sitting there. I mean, I don't know what you'd do, the head in your hands. Could you even watch that, you know, this Olympics where you've been ahead nearly all season, uh, just starting to slip away from you. You could, uh, I know I was getting, um, I was, I got about uh, seven or eight texts from people in the venue going, Dave, you know exactly what's needed, right? You know, just, just, I had to get the laptop out and confirm, but yeah, Poland were definitely, definitely in with a chance, having beaten the world number one. Well, the story didn't end there, and you alluded to Hungary going and watching that. Well, yeah, quite right, 45-13, that one was over very quickly, and they were on tenterhooks watching uh, the Poles on their way to victory, but it still wasn't done yet. And the the, the story of one team watching another also <laughs> wasn't done either because um, Hungary, in that loss, went into the, as you call it, the back table, the, the placings table, and uh, they uh, they had a match-up um, 
well, they had two matches, obviously, but the, the first one in the five to eight was against the Germans, and they just they comfortably handled them, uh, and winning forty five twenty seven. Uh, to then face Russia, who just lost to Poland. Yeah, it was critical actually that first um, that first match, and as we affectionately call it, the the Coca Cola Cup. You know the uh, the back table, um, mm. and yeah, it was. I mean, effectively with with Poland now in the top four, Hungary needed to beat Germany to keep their season alive. Yeah, and they did that, and they did that. So that meant that Poland would then know that fourth wasn't enough. Poland needed to win one more match to go to the Olympic Games, and that was either going to be against the USA, France, or Italy, depending on what happened uh, in the semifinals. So that that crucial win from Hungary over Germany put additional pressure on Poland to to have to get one more victory. Yeah, wasn't over yet. Right. So here here's here's the story of what happened in uh, Catchport Towers here in Torquay. I had the iPad out and I had the laptop out because both matches, Russia versus Hungary and uh, Poland versus France, were on at the same time. <laughs> right, so I'm watching them both, just not not sure, you know, what what uh, what to think. And I, I was one of those people texting you to go, right, what has to happen here? <laughs> uh, so I knew as well. And uh, do you know what? It wasn't a bad match between Russia and Hungary, but the Russians edged it 45-37 and that match finished as they were just coming to the end of the eighth leg of France versus Poland so I watched the the, the end of the the match and the handshakes and all the things that the fences do at the end shaking the hands with the referees and then the Hungarians of course ran over to the podium piece what was hilarious was the, the 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 podium piece had a curtain behind it, and actually the the, the Russia Hungary match was ha- happening behind that curtain. Oh. So if you were watching France Poland, you couldn't have seen uh, Russia Hungary unless you were watching it like me on a second screen. <laughs> but all of a sudden, the Hungarian team appear from one side of the no. curtain, all peeking around. It was, it was brilliant. You can go and watch it at, uh, oh. on the on the Russian Federation uh, YouTube channel. It's it's it was incredible. But what they were met with was, was Julia Volchik coming on for Poland in the ninth leg up against Pauline Ranvier of France. And they had a 40-37 lead. The Poles, this is. Now, Poland win, they go to the Olympic Games. And Hungary sitting watching, and that you couldn't believe their faces. It was... Oh. They were... In, it was agony, uh, distress. It was just incredible. But to be fair, the Poles all stayed focused on what they were doing. But Pauline Ranvier did not, Ranvier, I should say, did not play ball. She came out and she treated it like a, the match it was. It was a bronze medal playoff. Yep. And she absolutely wiped the floor with Wolczyk. It was inc- it was an incredible display from uh, Ranvier. Brilliant, brilliant fencing. Uh, Wolczyk was only able to score one hit. And the pressure, uh, the, you know, I'm not going to be critical of Julia Wolczyk at all. She fenced so well against the Russians that it just seemed that there was, she was being helped. The tension in her body wasn't allowing her uh, to flow, and, oh. and Ranvier 
wiped Gosh. the floor with her, 45-41. And the Hungarians were uh, at the, at the, effectively at the same end as the French team. And oh, oh, you, the, the celebrations at one end with the French celebrating winning the bronze medal and Hungary celebrating the fact that they knew they were going to the oh, Olympic wow. Games. And then at the other end of the piece, just tears and uh, utter utter distress oh that's awful i mean it's just i mean it's one of the reasons why we love our sport don't get me wrong but you know for it to come down to to one match and you know things that people have been training their whole life for um oh. it's just yeah i've watched i watched the uh, i watched the match uh, i've watched the match back but just uh yeah, didn't catch it in real time watched it uh, a couple of days ago and it's just the the contrasting emotions is just just incredible yeah, I mean that's the that's the drama, but you've got to feel for Julia Volchi. I mean, it's not her fault; it's a team competition. No. But to be the last one holding the weapon, uh, but it's a contrast, you know, to 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 do so well against Russia, to beat you know Derek Glazova, to mm-hmm. uh, you know to be the hero, to be the savior, and then just to have it ripped from you at the last minute is that's tough. It's really tough. Heartbreak, yeah. absolute heartbreak. But it was the conclusion of Olympic qualification for uh, the, the the women's teams. And, uh, well, Dave, go on. I'll let you, you confirm who's qualified for the Olympic Games. Yeah, so let's go start with Russia, Italy, France and the USA. They must make up our top four. And then we pick one each from the zones. So uh, we'll go Japan from Asia, Canada from the Americas, Hungary from Europe with just a single, uh, two points over Poland, and then Egypt sneak into the top sixteen, finish fifteenth on my rankings uh, from the African zone. So there are eight teams. Okay, so uh, we now know that uh, both the men's and the women's uh, teams for the foil discipline are uh, sorted out. Uh, anything sort of more to add on on that? Look, I think we're we're ready to go, aren't we? I think the question is going to be: don't have to worry about Japan using their zone or place uh, host nation places because they've qualified. Mm. Um, I think what we'll be tracking in the lead up to Olympics is uh, is who's ranked where and who's going to be fencing who. To be honest, yeah, yeah, agreed, agreed. Okay, so we move on to the individual because that's uh, still a contest yet to be confirmed. Uh, going into the tournament, uh, John Hisuk of Korea and Chen Qingyan of uh, China held the two Asian spots. Leonie Ebert of Germany uh, held the top European spot along with Maria Diaz of Spain. Ines Babakri had the African spot for Tunisia. And Colombia's Saskia Van Owen Garcia held the Pan American spot. So uh, going into the tournament, well, there was some. Big results, but let's let's get to those in a minute. Let, let's first off just have a look around the zones. Let's start with the, the African zone. Babakri holding the spot going in uh, as a result of what happened in Kazan. How's that situation look now? Yeah, there's no real, there's no one really chasing her bat. Um, she uh, she's going to qualify. Let's make it. Let's, let's keep it simple. She will qualify. That's I've got to say that's very unlike you. Yeah, I mean, we could go into into if if uh, you know some fencer that uh, you know we don't come across very often is going to win. Um, I think in women's foil, I think we can safely say that's not going to happen. So I think it's a it's a weapon we can keep relatively straightforward. Okay, fair enough. 
Mathematically, not quite, but uh, all the evidence suggests that Babakri will be going to the Olympic Games. Same situation for the Pan American spot and Van Evan Garcia? Yeah, a little bit tighter. Um, doesn't have uh, uh, Sassia Van Evan Garcia from Colombia. Doesn't have quite as many points as uh, Ines Babakri, but still by far the strongest fencer, and she'll be at the Olympics. Okay, so those are those two spots sorted out. Um, I'm saving Europe for last. You and I both know, and perhaps our avid listeners know why as well. So let's have a look at Asia. Uh, firstly, uh, Elisa Di Francesca won the tournament. Another great uh, performance from the 37-year-old Italian. Uh, but her opponent was, um, well, making a second podium appearance of the season. It was Shi uh, Yu of China. And that's thrown a right old spanner in the works for uh, Asian qualification, isn't it? Yeah, that's great. Another another great result from from Xi. Uh, so yeah, she moves fairly comfortably into the uh, second placed uh, Asian uh, spot after Jion of Korea, uh, sewing up her place as well. Um, so basically, she's going to be fighting against uh, a couple of her Chinese colleagues, Chen and Hao. Um, but basically, Chen's got maybe the best chance. Of catching her, so she's fifteen points behind, plus three for the fifth place. So Chen would need a last eight in in Anaheim to even even think about uh, causing some trouble. So she is looking like a favourite to take that second Asian spot along with Jion of Korea. And we know Jion has qualified. Right? Yeah, they can't. Um, her next, uh, the next best Korean is Che, uh, who's too far away. And then everyone else in between is Chinese, and there can only be one per country in the individual route. So Gion is is mathematically qualified. Right. So we know Gion's qualified. She not only uh, holds the second spot now, but he's only six points behind uh, John. But in effect, that's a bit of a dead race. The, the, the race, as you're saying, has to be with the, the Chinese followers, Chen, technically, who are perhaps even uh, Fu. Uh, all in with a chance mathematically, but uh, yep. they would need some pretty big results uh, at the last event. Um, so uh, now the one that, uh, well, God, let's be fair to our listeners. We've, we've discussed this uh, European situation extensively before uh, we came to record this episode. Uh, going into the, 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 competition in Kazan. As I said, Leoni Eber of Germany led Maria Diaz of Spain for the two uh, European zonal spots. Uh, right, first off, what happened in, in Kazan and how do things stand right now, just in terms of the table? Yeah, so uh, let's, let's let's do the easy one first. So another great result from Leoni Ebert, finishing in the top 16. She's been doing it all year. Um, we need something special from Anne Sauer to catch her. She'd need a gold medal in Anaheim to catch Leone. Um, that's very straightforward. That's the only threat then for Abert. If, if Sauer yep. gets gold, uh, that that's she, if she doesn't, Abert's qualified for the Olympic. Yep. As soon as Anne Sauer loses a match, um, Leone Abert qualifies for the Olympic end. That's it's the only thing you need to watch for. Um, okay. So that's the easy one. So the harder one is the second European place, uh, currently held, as you alluded to, uh, by oh, previously held by Diaz. And after, after Kazan still held by Diaz, um, we had a couple of interesting results. Uh, Pustelnik in the 32 improved. Um, Wallach only made the 64, so didn't improve because her 
fifth best result is the three points. Uh, so that leaves them both three points behind Diaz, and they both have three points as their fifth result. So three plus three is six. So they effectively need a minimum a last 32 in Anaheim to get those six points, and that would put them level on points. If Diaz doesn't score any points. Exactly. So, and that's important to note as well. Very good point, Bash. So Diaz is on 44 points with one point as her fifth best result. So she would improve. Even if she made a last 96, she would get one and a half points. So a net half point and would move to 44 and a half points, meaning that both Wallach and Pustelnik would need more than a 32. Remember, they're not the only ones in the race either. Uh, Hannah Lisbinska from Poland, uh, Martina Douglas uh, from Poland as well. They're further back, but they can definitely spoil the party with a good result. Um, we're just sort of targeting two fences that need don't need an exceptional result to, to, to get uh, into qualification uh, places. Okay. Now, given recent form... It would not surprise me in the least if Diath didn't make the ninety-six. Yep, and I, I don't—I'm not being disparaging of her. I'm just basing it on recent form. If she doesn't make the last preliminary knockout at the last competition, which is in Anaheim, the Grand Prix in Anaheim, she won't gain any points. Yep. Also, given recent form, Postelnik making the thirty-two in Kazan. Yep. Wolchik fencing out of her skin in the team event yep. in Kazan. I would say it's likely that at least one of them is going to make a 32. Yep. So. So the nightmare scenario is Diaz doesn't score, so yep. gets cut from the pools or something horrible, and one or both of Wolich and Pustilnik make the 32, and then we go into tiebreaker territory. Right. Okay. Uh, I'm choosing my next question very carefully. Uh, Dave, what do the rules say about countback? So what we look at is then the number of or your best results. So the rules specifically say you'd look at the number of first places the number of second places, number of third places, et cetera, et cetera. So if Bash, let's keep it really simple. If we were tied on points and I had a gold medal and you only had a silver medal as your best result, the rules say I should be ranked ahead of you because I have more golds than you have golds. But say okay. our results were sixth and seventh, the person with a sixth result would qualify, would break the tiebreaker ahead of the person with seventh. Yeah, and that can be across anything. That could be anything from world championships to a satellite. The rule, the rule book doesn't differentiate between the competitions. So that's normally what we'd be looking at. So if we just looked at across the board, Wallach has a satellite silver medal in Bratislava. Yeah. So that, at first glance, and I'd say my initial reading of the rule would suggest that Wallach would break that tiebreaker with that silver medal. But it's not, I mean, inevitably, these things are not as uh, as clear as they could be. 
So what we're not sure is whether you only, for the tiebreaker, use the results that are inside the FIE official ranking. And remember, again, that the FIE official ranking is world championships, zonal championships, and your best five. So what we're not sure about, and it's not evident to us, is if you're not counting those points, and Walsh wouldn't be counting those points if she made a 32 in Anaheim, if you're not counting that silver medal, can you use it for the tiebreak? And then compounding that problem is that then if Walsh wasn't using those silver medal, then obviously Diaz has the next best result, which is a fifth place in a satellite that she would be using. So it's, yeah, it's, it's a bit awkward to be brutally honest, Bash. It's a little bit, I don't like these, uh, I don't like any uncertainty. And, and what's the situation for uh, Nicole Pustelnik? Uh, so Pustelnik has, uh, let me just pull it up. It's not as good. I don't think it's as good in any case. So I think we can be clear that Pustelnik will not, I think she's got a 16 in the satellite possibly. Uh, let's pull it up. Uh, Pustelnik has sixth in zonals. That's quite interesting. Oh, no, that's six points in zonals. Pardon me, Vash. Now, so Pustelnik has 12th in Katowice, so that's not going to come into play. That's not going to come into play at all. So we can comfortably say Pustelnik would lose a tiebreaker on, on however we looked at it. The question would be is what happens with Diaz versus Wallach. Or if Pustelnik goes on to the 16th. Oh, yeah. I mean, if she gets more points, then we don't need to worry about it. I mean, that's the easiest solution. Don't want to have to worry about this tiebreaker nonsense. Um, so that's the question. So I think, and I can only work on publicly available information. I don't have any inside info. I just play with my spreadsheets. But I've had a look at a couple of examples on the FIE website, and I think the FIE are currently calculating on all of the results, not the best five. But again, this is hard to, you know, there's only so much you can delve into their maths. But I think that's how they're calculating it. But I can see how there would be room for interpretation. I think the, I think the best, uh, it's, it's, let's just hope it doesn't happen. Let's put it that way. Last 96 yeah. from Diaz would make it much easier for me. Yeah, sounds like it could get messy if there's a tiebreaker. So, um, yeah, let's... Uh... Let's hope Diaz has a great day or one of them has a great day and, and scores points outright uh, in the race for the European second place. So um, let's just summarise where we are at. Uh, she, uh, perhaps the uh, biggest gainer in Kazan, goes into one of the Asian spots along with Jun Hee-suk. So a Korean and Chinese athlete sitting pretty for Olympic qualification. Leonie Herbert sits at the top of the uh, European list with Maria Diaz in second place. Ines Babakri holding the African spot and Van Irvin Garcia holding the Pan-American spot. Dave, uh, just in case people didn't hear, where are we next for the last of the Olympic qualifiers in women's world? Uh, off to Disneyland, Bash. We're going to, we're going to Anaheim. Yeah, Anaheim, 13th to the 15th of March, just a couple of weekends' time. Uh, so really looking forward to seeing how that race concludes. Dave, as always, thanks for your fabulous insight. Uh, will you be watching in Anaheim? Cannot wait, mate. You, I think I'll have four screens on the go. 
<laughs> Likewise. Well, Dave, thank you very much as always. And thank you to all of you for listening to our podcast. 